Hey, it's Angela Yee from Way Up with Angela Yee. Imagine swapping your car keys for a chance to move your body, better mental health, connecting with your community, and creating memories without spending money. Join me and embrace nature's pace by taking a walk, hike, or a bike ride with Rails to Trails Conservancy, because our time on the trail is so much more than a day outside. Get ideas for getting outside at reelstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Reels to Trails. Hey, ladies, it's Angela Yee. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for official rules and a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hey, ladies, it's Angela Yee. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head on over to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for official rules and a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. What's up? It's Angela Yee. And if you know me, you know I have several businesses. Well, one of them had closed down for a little while, but we just reopened it. And that is my juice bar. It's called Nourish Spot BK. And as soon as we reopened, we were really on the clock to find people who can make juices, sandwiches, acai bowls. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash way up. Maybe you see the perfect candidate. Well, ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. You can invite your top choices to apply and you can even encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash way up. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash way up. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. One of the most important things is having our voices represent us. And that's why black representation in media means so much to me and also to the black community. When things happen with current events and entertainment and politics, it is so important that we are speaking for ourselves and not have other people place a narrative on us and who we are and to tell those stories from our point of view. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurter to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. 
Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. What's up? It's Way Up with Angela Yee. I'm Angela Yee, and we have a special gift for you guys today. Dr. Hassan Teta is here with us, and um, I actually requested for you to come on the show because I want to make sure that we talk about artificial intelligence, we talk about healthcare, and talk about it with somebody who is a leader in that field. And so, first off, author of Gifts of the Heart, okay? <laughs> but now, uh, author of The Art of Human Care with AI, Artificial Intelligence. So, welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. And um, I just want to run down your background a little bit. You have so much that I was like, I don't even, I'm going to ha- let you do it because I don't want to miss anything. Oh, you're going to let me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with something we have a lot in common. We're from Brooklyn. We're from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> We're from Brooklyn, absolutely. So, I think. Mm-hmm. You could start with that and you can end with that and you probably need to know everything you need to know about me. <laughs> no, but even just how you got into healthcare, I yeah. think is an interesting sure. story, yeah. right? Because um, you were on a plane. And so just tell us what happened while you were on that flight. Yeah. So that takes me back to undergrad. I went to Brooklyn Tech. We were mm-hmm. just talking about My that for high there. school. I mm-hmm. uh, went to a very small arts and science college, one of the SUNYs upstate, uh, SUNY Plattsburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a pre-med major wanted to become a doctor because my parents are West African immigrants and uh, that's what they want their sons to be, <laughs> a doctor or <laughs> <Dr>. lawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I was down that path and uh, when I was in Brooklyn Tech, I majored in bio, uh, bio uh, chemistry and biomedical engineering and uh, got to Brooklyn Tech, graduated, went to SUNY Plattsburgh and uh, got admitted uh, to medical school eventually, but that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. First, what happened first was I got an early decision interview down in Johns Hopkins, and I was on that plane, like you said. And when that happened, I was sitting next to an individual who had a very bad cough. <laughs> now, way you know, before COVID, way before COVID. So you know, back <laughs> then, you know, obviously, you know, behaviors and times have changed. But I went to I went to Baltimore, interviewed at Hopkins, and was really, really confident I was going to get accepted to medical school. Which and, is a huge deal, by the way. John which is Hopkins, a huge yeah. deal at Hopkins and early decision on top of that. And I got back, and about a week later, Angela, I was deathly ill. Had a fever, had a headache. I felt like someone had my head in a vice grip and was just squeezing. And I had chills. And I went to the infirmary and you know told them my symptoms. And they said, well, you probably have a stomach flu. Just go back to your dorm room. I was an RA, so I had a single. I was by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. So okay. fortunately, my, my fraternity brothers <laughs> came looking for me on a Friday night and found me you know, half dead, pretty much, and took me to the hospital. And it turned out that uh, what I had was uh, bacterial meningitis. Ooh, that's crazy. It is. And, you know, for your listeners or anybody that knows about bacterial meningitis, this happens almost annually. There's a couple of kids in colleges all across the country that, you know, succumb to meningitis and die. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I was fortunate. I got to the hospital in time. I got the treatment I needed. I met a um, physician in the ER that took care of me. Uh, I spent about two weeks in the hospital, a week in the ICU, tube in every orifice of my body. It's mm-hmm. all before I became a doctor. And when I finally got out of the hospital, I found out that Johns Hopkins rejected me. <laughs> oh, my God. But that was all okay because uh, ultimately it worked out. I think what kept me alive was the knowledge and the feeling and the confidence that I was going to become a doctor. So I think that that kept me alive. And it was my purpose back then. So ultimately, I wound up going to downstate medical school, came mm-hmm. back to Brooklyn. That's why I say it begins and starts in Brooklyn. Came back, came back to Brooklyn for uh, medical school. I spent nine years at downstate. I okay. did four years of medical school, and then I did five years of a general surgery residency. Mm-hmm. That's where I got uh, to become a surgeon. I joined the Navy after medical school. You did it all. <laughs> joined the Navy after medical school, traveled the world after I finished my time at downstate. And then I went to Minnesota, and that's where I became uh, trained to be a heart and lung surgeon. Okay. And I specialized in transplant, and uh, I spent some time in Boston. And while I was in Boston— I, I went, heard the Boston accent <laughs> just now, too. Okay. I went to Boston, spent a year <laughs> in Boston, worked in the hospital there, and then ultimately the Navy uh, transplanted me to uh, Bethesda, uh, Maryland, right mm-hmm. outside of Washington, D.C., and I was, uh, you know, I was a practicing cardiothoracic surgeon, still am. Uh, that's what I did for most of my time in the Navy. 
And uh, I had an opportunity to learn about informatics. Okay. And, you know, for your listeners, what informatics is, is it's the constellation of data, technology, and clinical science. Okay. And we bring those together to help doctors do their job better. Okay. Do their work better. And if you think about it, we need technology. Absolutely. I wouldn't be able to do open heart surgery without great technology, without those innovations that have pioneered our field. You need data because you need information. Mm -hmm. And you combine data and technology, you actually enhance the clinical expertise of the doctor that is taking care of you. Right. And, uh, and so that specialty actually became a subspecialty that became a board-certified spe- subspecialty. I became board-certified in that uh, almost 10 years ago. And that uh, provided an opportunity for me to sort of uh, have another dimension of my clinical practice beyond just heart and lung surgery. Sheesh. And I'm glad that you ran all this down because there's no way that I would have um, been able to <laughs> but it properly does, it, okay. it does do have, justice. It does have a – well, I appreciate that, uh, that latitude because it gives, uh, I think, your listeners and, uh, and, and folks that are listening to this – the perspective that I come to right. this work with. Yeah, because it's about caring. It's about what you went through also, Correct. right? A near-death yeah. experience. So health, wellness, but then also technology Absolutely. and also artificial intelligence. It brings all of these things together. Yeah. So that passion for not only <laughs> being on the you know, patient side and, and knowing what that felt like, that vulnerability, that, that fear, that anxiety, having a tube in every orifice of your body, totally made me a different kind of doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, when most people meet me, especially in the operating room, they're like, you're not like most cardiac surgeons. Yeah, because you know? <laughs> I feel like doctors are supposed to be, like, very emotionless. Mm. You know, that's what I've always seen and heard, that because there's a lot of things that can happen and that can go wrong, and they tell you don't get too attached, don't do this, don't do that. You know, while they do care for you, at a certain point, it's like it can be really hard mentally for a doctor also to become. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate that you've had that experience because I've been – Fortunate to have certainly that experience, but <laughs> many experiences of doctors that are very compassionate, right. very passionate, and very empathetic, mm-hmm. and 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 also sort of put themselves in the shoes of the patient. Because you have to give bad news sometimes. You do a lot. You do, yeah, right? Absolutely, and uh, then good news, which is amazing when that can <laughs> and happen. Then, and then good news. So so there's definitely a balance, but that. That sort of entree into the technology space led to uh, many opportunities for me within the military. I became the chief medical informatics officer for the military, for the Navy, uh, our, our, our department. I went to the War College uh, and studied national security strategy. And while I was there, uh, as the only doctor in that class, mm. I had an opportunity to work with some really smart people uh, that were on the intel side that were AI experts. And I proposed a project uh, for them, uh, and uh, I wanted to work on a thesis uh, blending artificial intelligence and military medicine. Mm. And so I spent a few years working on that. And then I had one of the greatest opportunities that probably ever came before me, and that was I was recruited to the Pentagon to lead the Warfighter Health Mission at a new organization that was established in the Department of Defense exclusively for advancing AI in the military. Wow. It was a Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. Sheesh. All right. Well, good. And this is where, and by the way, I know your parents are so proud because this is exactly, they could not have even imagined that you would be, when they wanted you to go to school and become a doctor, that this is where we would be right now. Well, definitely an emotional uh, chord that you hit there. My dad, uh, regrettably, passed away after I graduated from med school. And uh, you know, just about a month ago, Angela, my uh, my mom passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, but, but I, I do believe, I, I'd like to think that... Uh, you know, I, I just uh, wrote something, and I um, I quoted John F. Kennedy. He he said that you are not a true adult until you lose both of your parents. Ooh. I am now a true adult. Okay. And uh, I don't know if it feels very good to be a true adult because of losing both parents. Um, but one thing that I am pretty confident about is uh, when you have a mother and a father like I did, they always live within you, and they're in your heart. And uh, my mom, I, I believe, is uh, is uh, very happy, and I'm going to continue to make her proud. So, Listen, I have no doubts <laughs> about that at all from everything that I've just heard up to this point. Um, 
And I do want to talk now about artificial intelligence and about healthcare and wellness and in that space, because I feel like the reason why I wanted you here is because a lot of people get nervous when they hear about artificial intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. We've been watching what's been going on with SAG-AFTRA, with the writers striking, um, uh, also in other spaces where people are like, okay, is AI going to take over our job? We've seen articles where it's like, these are the jobs that won't exist anymore thanks to artificial intelligence. But then we also see the benefits of artificial intelligence. And my main thing is that people need to understand it and to understand how they can also be involved in that space and know how this will affect their life, but how you can make sure that it affects you in a positive way. So let's first start with, um, in the healthcare space, artificial intelligence, what are some of the benefits? Like you said, um, for you being a heart surgeon and and doing what you've done, you couldn't have done that without the technology that you have. And with artificial intelligence, that brings it to another level. So let's talk about some of the benefits that that brings to that space. That's a great question. So first and foremost, I think you would want to kind of categorize yourself in a cat, you know, put yourself in sort of a, a category. Are you a AI optimist? <laughs> are you an AI pessimist? Mm-hmm. Or are you sort of indifferent and agnostic to it? Like it doesn't matter to you. And I think that, you know, almost everyone can kind of put themselves, depending on the subject matter, in one of those camps. Very enthusiastic about it, very, you know, not so enthusiastic about it, very pessimistic, anxious, and scared about it. And then kind of think that doesn't matter. So kind of like let's start with that sort of position. So if if you're listening to this, kind of put yourself in one of those in those categories, and right. then and then listen to what I say, and then let's see if you know if 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 things okay, change like a little this. bit. And put myself in a category. <laughs> okay. I would say um, in between an agnostic and optimist because mm-hmm. I feel like it's really important to be educated, but I need to work on that. Sure. And so for me to be to the place where I can be an optimist, I need to understand more. Absolutely. And I think that is spot on for where, you know, it's when we sort of begin our understanding of AI. And artificial intelligence has evolved a lot, you know, and why is it sort of at the forefront of everyone's mind? Artificial intelligence was described decades ago. No one was was. talking about it, right? (laughs) It was like, you know, so a lot of us that have been in this space for years kind of look at this as sort of a novel time in a way. I feel like there's been movies about it, but it (laughs) felt like long, far away science fiction. Right, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's now more at the forefront because obviously information gets transferred and, and disseminated a lot more efficiently now than it did in the past. But there is really kind of a critical space that we're in right now that I think has brought artificial intelligence sort of to the apogee and sort of to this, you know, this zeitgeist of everybody talking mm-hmm. about it and knowing about it and, and and being fearful of it, being optimistic about it, or still not understanding what it is, but hearing a lot about it. And uh, if you think about what time and period we're in, we're sort of in this era, right? We're in this era of of technology, advancement, data, networks connectivity and a lot of power that we never had before. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is knowledge of power, you know, not poly, you know, knowledge within the power of knowledge, mm-hmm. but also computing power that we didn't have before. Right. And we also have a capacity right now to exchange information at a pace that we never had before. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I can now talk to each other here obviously. Right. We can reach out across the world and talk to somebody and collaborate with someone in another country, that's right. Real time. We don't have to on get a on project. a flight, and... right? I mean, think about how you had to exchange. <laughs> we don't have to go in the office. Or <laughs> think about how you had to exchange information in the past. You would have to send a fax, documents going back and forth. <laughs> now you just attach a PDF. You can attach a thousand-page PDF and just send it in a minute, <laughs> right? On your, from your phone. On your phone. So think about that. So if you think about, we have a lot more data. We have computing power we didn't have before. We have a network of connectivity. We have really, really bright people. Mm-hmm. And for many years, people have been working in this space, developing algorithms, developing the technology, building the infrastructure to make AI a lot more effective, a lot more visible, mm-hmm. and a lot more impactful. So that's a good thing in many right. ways, right? But it also brings a lot of concern, it brings a lot of anxiety because we are also seeing an impact, a real impact on people's lives. Right. So I just wanted to kind of give that background and context, but then I wanna say this one thing and then we'll continue the conversation. And that is AI will impact 
everything. I'm going to repeat that Mm -hmm. so you understand it and so everyone else understands it. AI will impact everything except for the things that matter most. (laughs) Okay. The rest is going to be up to us. So what do I mean by that? Yes, explain that, please. Explain that. At the time that electricity was kind of coming on the scene, you think about New York, right, our big city here. Can you imagine nope. New York without electricity? <laughs> Absolutely not. We wouldn't be here, right? Wouldn't here. be here. We were just talking in the in the green room before we got in here about a, an event we just had where the electricity went out. Oh, power yeah. went out. This was just remember when we had a uh, power outage. <laughs> yeah, that was a huge deal around the city. People couldn't get their cars out of the parking garages. Like right. everything was shut down. Yeah, and and no doubt people were harmed. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Air conditioning not working, heat not working if it's wintertime. Refrigerators, Refrigerators broken, food going food bad, back. restaurants. Yeah, yeah mess, lots yeah. of things, right? But at the end of the day, people adapted, they survived, they kind of got through it. But just think about how electricity was introduced into the world. Well, let's just be specific about America. And if you go back to that time and you read about what was going on, all of the same kinds of things that are happening right now People nervous, with AI, concerned what's going to... Absolutely. The people that make oil to put you know oil in all those lamps those gas lamps they were what are we going to do mm-hmm. our business is our livelihood we're going to go the people that were lighting those lights what are we going to do our right. jobs are going to be gone and what happened angela they adapted and they evolved and that's the great thing about our human species mm-hmm. we can adapt and we can evolve so my point is electricity absolutely impacts everything that we do right now, right? We wouldn't be able to have this dialogue and this exchange and have it delivered and disseminated to everybody if it wasn't for electricity right now, right? We mm-hmm. would be in the dark. Right. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation, not in the way that we're having right now, but you and I could still exchange ideas if we were in the dark and we were just sitting here by candlelight. Mm-hmm. Right. And but- that's really the jux of what matters, right? So your, your, your relationships, caring for your family, taking care of yourself, those things are still going to happen with or without AI. Now, can you use a AI to leverage those things, to leverage those interactions, to improve care, uh, to improve education? To fitness. Im- fitness, to do all these other things? Absolutely. But let's regard AI for what it is. It is a tool. It is a technology. It is an innovation that undoubtedly is impacting every aspect of our life right now. It's going to continue to impact every aspect of our life. But there is great benefit, but also great potential for there to be harm with it, just like every technology. Now, what do you think about people who are in specific fields that are like, look, we want to make sure that our jobs and uh, our futures are also stable because we want to make sure that there's things put into place especially like say SAG after everything that's sure. going on with the writer's strike with the actors and people are very concerned about well are you going to be using AI to write scripts where you no longer need humans for that right. um, you know for a lot of different things people have been concerned about whether or not and and I understand what you're saying because there'll be different jobs available right, right. we'll adapt and there'll be another uh, need for us to be able to somehow, you know, and we don't even know what that is completely yet. Or maybe right. you do. Right. You're from well, the future. I'm <laughs> from the future. What do you think about, about uh, corporations having to put things in place? Because we see like with Netflix, yeah. you know, while people are having issues and, and there's a strike going on, they're also hiring for people in AI. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I'll answer the question with giving a story and a bit of, uh, mm-hmm. of context from, from the work that I did uh, and continue to do in, in, health, in the healthcare space. So you can kind of make some parallels and I think it'll answer the question in this way. So when we uh, were at the Jake, when I first got it to join our official intelligence center, by the way, that, that organization has evolved and has matured into a different organization within the department now. But when we got there, we just think about the timing. It started in 20, 2018. It was before the pandemic, and in 2019 is when I arrived. So it was a brand-new organization, huge budget, lots of resources with the mandate to advance and accelerate artificial intelligence within the Department of Defense, one of the largest organizations on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I was privileged and had this opportunity to lead Warfighter Health, a huge portfolio in how do we bring AI to the point of care and help our warfighters and those that are supporting warfighters. Mm-hmm. And we had a number of projects. There were 
dozens and dozens of projects that our team and myself were shepherding through a process of maturity and delivery. I'm going to I'm going to highlight uh, two okay. in particular, and I'm going to kind of give you some context for how this experience that I had answers the question that you're asking okay. specifically about the writers and, and other people that may be listening right now. So it was a macro and a macro, a micro and a macro example, if you think okay. about it that way. So on a microscopic level, we have slides. So if you get a biopsy or we take a piece of tissue from your, your body mm-hmm. or we do surgery and resect something, we look at it on a microscope to make a diagnosis. Is this cancer? Is this something that's not cancer? Is this something that's benign? And when we look under those microscopes, we looking, we're looking at slides. Well, we can digitize, and we did. We digitized those slides. We digitized thousands, hundreds of thousands of those slides. And what we did is use computer vision built an interface, and developed algorithms so that we could help detect cancer. And without going into a whole lot of tech stuff, okay. I'll just tell you that what, we, what, we, what would happen is when the pathologist or the physician looks into the microscope, this technology that we were helping to implement would draw a circle around the abnormal cells. Okay. Now think about how that could make the job of the pathologist that much better, right? Because we're looking at this slide and very trained, very skilled, very seasoned professionals are looking at this information and they have to make a call. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a judgment call. Is this a a cancer or is it not a cancer? And sometimes we have to refer to an expert. Well, we were implementing that technology and we, we delivered those microscopes to different centers. Now, here's the neat thing. What we found is that those microscopes and that interface, when we compared them to just physicians looking at it on their own without that, we were getting a high diagnostic accuracy okay. with that tool. That's one example, right? right. Let's like kind of park that over there. Okay. Now, look in a population. Like I said, uh, that's a microscopic way. Now, now let's, do a macro. Let's, let's, let's zoom out. Let's okay. zoom out all the way to the rest of the country. So in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, early 2020. Hey ladies, it's Angela Yee. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head on over to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for official rules and a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever 
you get your podcast. Right? Think back to where you are, March 13th, yep. 2020. I was in Detroit. It was 313 day. <laughs> That's how I know that. <laughs> 313 day. I remember where I was. I was in the hallway of the Pentagon, and I was one of these you know, folks kind of like, I wouldn't say crying wolf, but definitely saying every day, something is happening. Look at the, because every day I would read the paper and on above or below the fold of the Wall Street Journal, which is one of my favorite <laughs> things I read every day, I would see something, a headline of COVID. And I was right. seeing this back in October of 2020, of 2019. Right. So now we're in the spring of 2020 and things are happening. And I'll never forget because in this, <laughs> I was out there evangelizing this COVID thing again. Yeah. Right? And no, some... you're right, because I was in Detroit, and um, I was supposed to come back to New York, but New York was shut, was shutting down. Mm. And so I was like, well, let me just stay out here, because they hadn't found any cases in Detroit yet. Mm. Yet. Yet. Exactly. Yet. <laughs> right. So I'm like, is this something that's just happening in L.A. and in New York, and mm. it's not, you know, should I just stay here mm. for a little while longer? But then after a while, I was like, I need to just get home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just in case. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So I was in the hallway. We're talking. My colleagues passed me. Now, I was, again, very, I was in a minority. I'm a physician in a department <laughs> talking right. about AI and Department of Defense. And uh, people, my friends walked by, and they were like, oh, there's that crazy doctor talking about this COVID <laughs> thing again. I said, all right, you guys think I'm crazy. There was lunchtime. Do you remember what happened around uh, 4 o'clock late afternoon? Mm-mm. They canceled the NBA season. Oh. And that was the last day we went to the office. That's the context I'm going to tell you the macro story about. Okay. Right? So now we're all at home, Angela, and our team that has a portfolio to advance AI and help people are stuck at home. And what are we going to do? And we're on the phone and we're on Zoom calls and we're on teams and we're we're desperate, right? Because we feel like impassioned to try and help. No one knew what to look for with this right. this disease. I mean, we're learning, like literally on the fly learning. I'm talking to my colleagues there in the ER. I have a lot of friends in New York. I'm in DC and they're getting run over by cases. And this is a desperate time, right? We didn't have a lot of testing back then. Right. It was impossible to get tested unless you pretty much had it. Yeah, and, and and we started to think about what could we do to help? How can we provide something that could help? Some tool, some technology, some way of informing people how to deal with this problem. And our great team came up with these ideas and we're just brainstorming and we're like, I mean, we're on calls and so you think about it, we're not in rooms doing this like right. on the well, in real time, we're, we're like doing it all virtually. But our team, what we did is we came up with a really neat concept. And and what we did have access to was claims data. Mm-hmm. If you think about you go to a hospital, you go see your doctor, you go see your, your, your you visit the clinic, they make a diagnosis on you right. and they write down what you had. Fever, chills, flu-like symptoms, sprained ankle, broken toe, whatever it is. And there's a code for that. That code gets sent to the insurance companies, and in this case, CMS. And then your claim gets And that claim gets mm-hmm. entered, and that's how you can track. You can actually go back and look to the code. How many broken <laughs> you know, fibulas did we have this year? So we didn't have an ICD-10, which is what they're called, code for COVID in the spring of 2020. Not yet, anyway. But what we did have is flu-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And we knew that people that are of a certain age particularly a Medicaid age, Medicare age was 65 and older, those folks were particularly susceptible to getting sick, right? Because right. we saw a lot of those folks coming into the hospital. And we said, what if we can use that data as a surrogate to really track COVID cases? Because if these people were coming into the hospital with flu-like symptoms, there could be a really good chance that that was not necessarily the flu, right. but it was, was COVID, COVID. Mm-hmm. right? Especially when you see surges. And so we had this database and we built these cooperative agreements with people that usually don't ordinarily share information and share data. And we had teams of experts from like, you know, big companies, IBM, Amazon, like all these great people, talented folks working with us to build what we called the Salus platform. Mm-hmm. And I published about both of these projects. So if anyone's, anyone's interested about learning more about the micro example I talked about earlier, this macro example, you can go look it up. It's, it's, it's in the public domain. 
And what we were able to do is develop a model and build out a dashboard that could go down to the zip code level and tell you and show you where the COVID cases were. Right. Why is that important? Because what were we trying to do back then? We're trying to contain the spread of COVID. Mm -hmm. But we were also trying to deliver really needed not only medicines, but, you know, PPE, protective, you know, protective equipment Mm -hmm. and, and gear to people where they needed it. Well, now we had a tool that could show those policymakers, those people that were delivering resources and personnel mm-hmm. where they should go. Right. We could predict where the cases were. And, and we had a way of, you know, developing predictive models. So this could, this was, this was, this was data that was sort of old because we're going by claims data, but we can build models and you can, you know, you can develop like a, a, a system and a way to show that today this is where those cases are, but tomorrow they're going to be here. And that's all through AI. Yeah, that's okay. what we were doing. It was advanced analytics, using data, building algorithms, and developing a, a, a visual display that could help people that weren't the programmers to right. see on a map, you know, state by state, county by county, down to the zip code level, where they could deploy resources. And it became a, a, a needed tool and something that was effective in the response to sort of save lives, to help ease pain and suffering, and to deploy needed resources, personnel, equipment, et cetera, to where they needed the most. So that's a macro example, and that's a macro example. How does that pertain to the writers? How does that pertain to people in the music industry? How does that pertain to anyone that's listening right now that may be in any field of work? Mm -hmm. My message in sort of case is, think about what the problem set is in your particular industry, your particular world, right? What are the pain points? Where is it that you see an opportunity to improve something? In the field of pathology, surgery, we saw an opportunity Mm -hmm. to enhance the diagnostic capability of those that are making that judgment call with providing this tool that happened to leverage AI. Yes. So now, 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 take that out. Now we have policy makers, people that are in charge of deploying resources, people that are caring for patients that all are dealing with something that's a bit unknown. Mm-hmm. COVID was very novel, right? That's why they don't call it novel anymore. Right. But remember, in the beginning, it was, it was called it was. novel coronavirus. <laughs> why is it novel? We don't know what's now we going have like on. Eighty thousand different Correct. strains. <laughs> but what we did was we had identified a problem. And then we used a tool, call it artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. data analysis. You know, again, the definition of AI is going to continue to evolve. But then we applied that innovation to address a problem. Right. So I think what, what, what I would encourage everyone to do is don't think of the technology as just this amorphous, or, ambiguous thing. Mm-hmm. Think of or, it and as it's something evil. Or think of it as something evil. <laughs> It's 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 quite agnostic. I think you know whether it's good or bad or evil is depends really it. it depends on who's using it, right? <laughs> because there could be nefarious people out there that are using tools to do things that are not right. so good. Right. But there's also people out there that are using tools to do something that is good. So I think if you approach this technology, much like the people that started to be the early adopters for electricity, they started to use it in a way that was addressing problems. Right, it's even dark. if you see every day, light. <laughs> and for everyday average person, like I've seen people talking about how with fitness, artificial intelligence has helped them come up with like a running plan or come up with different uh, diets and things like that that can actually help you get back on the path to uh, being more healthy and more in shape. And so there's a lot of ways that it can actually benefit you, but I just think it is... Um, you know, we see chat GPT and people being nervous about that, right, too, yeah. about, you know, that as being used. But I guess anything can be used as a tool that's not uh, beneficial or that's negative or it can be used for a good purpose, depending on, like you said, who's using it. Absolutely. I think uh, there's great potential for AI to do a lot of good. There's mm-hmm. also great potential for it to do harm. Right. And, and so understandably, I think people are right to be anxious about this 
particular technology. But they should also, you know, just kind of step back and just have a perspective. And then, you know, if, if nothing else, kind of go back to those words that I said, right? AI will impact everything yeah. except the things that matter most. And, <laughs> right? and you know, and I also um, have been saying it's something that is, like you said, it's going to happen. It is going to impact everything. So it's in your best interest to figure out how can you uh, use that and make sure that you're informed on it. And that's why I wanted to have you up here so that people can understand that um, – this is something that either like look at streaming because, you know, I always talk about music when it comes to the music business. But, you know, you went from having cassette tapes to having CDs. People had an issue with CDs. Cassettes. Then you went from yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then you went from CDs. You, you missed eight tracks. You didn't oh, start, you I didn't eight tracks. I didn't go that far back. <laughs> well, I'll go back that far. I got some eight tracks. We got eight tracks, the cassettes. cassettes yeah. Beta and VHS. But yeah, even streaming services, mm-hmm. right? People were really like, okay, how are artists going to get paid from that? How are labels going to make sure that they make money? Well, is this something that, and, and even before that, LimeWire was an issue for people right. because it was illegal and people were not getting any type of royalties from that. But they had to figure out a way so that it would be fair for people that they could actually benefit and make money from streaming services. So now they have different streaming services. The labels are on board and things have changed. You don't have to buy a CD anymore. You don't have to go out the day that an album's coming out to go and get it. You know, so I think in that way, because we also see labels signing um, AI artists too. Mm-hmm. So now these um, songs are being created through artificial intelligence and there's artists doing videos and making songs that are strictly through AI and it sounds really good, Mm -hmm. but it's also making people nervous Mm -hmm. because then it's like, okay, well, are we going to need, um, you know, is this going to take the place of artists? Who's making the money from this and things like that? Mm -hmm. I I, I want to share a story with you that I think will be appropriate for, uh, for, for everyone listening. And it also has a bit of a lesson and, and sort of a moral <laughs> behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll kind of say it at the outset. Don't let AI be something that takes over you, in, in, in if, if that makes sense. Use this time, this opportunity to learn as much as you can about AI and how you can help yourself and the work that you do become better okay right so let's start with that right but you talked about the music and streaming and and you know for certain things i'm a late adopter right (laughs) Right? right. i i really enjoy that's why i went back to eight tracks for you right (laughs) i have vinyl i have cassettes i have you know all those different things and and i knew there was streaming and and all this obviously but one of the things i used to love doing was going into the music store when they existed Mm -hmm. looking at records right and tower records and those kinds of you know those iconic places that existed right back then right that was like the greatest pastime when i moved to dc when i first got to dc this was in 2009 i'm going to tell you something angela don't don't judge me, you know. I, I, I don't judge me. This is just the truth. This is what happened. I got there and I wanted a song, and I foolishly got it. And I say foolishly. In two thousand, I foolishly got into my car and I drove to the mall because I was like, well, obviously, as a CD, <laughs> yeah. I could just go into the store and buy. And I walked the entire mall <laughs> and I looked at the directory. Where's the whiz? There was no. <laughs> music store and i was like how is this possible now it'd been a while since i actually went to go buy music right because i i had a pretty good collection i got eight tracks those i could listen to so I, i'm good right just but there, right but there yeah. was this one song that i wanted <laughs> what song was this I, yeah I, i'm not even gonna say but i i just i just i couldn't find it and that's when it dawned on me that what i had not fully embraced was a change had happened. Right. An evolution had happened. Something had occurred, and I didn't get fully on board. Now, quickly, I got my yeah, iTunes, like, like, and I figured it out. Yeah. Excuse me, and I figured it out, and I knew how to get it, and I was like, okay, cool. Now it's really easy. I can look up any song I want, and I can download it. Mm-hmm. But that experience kind of was reinforcing, again, what I'm trying to you know, sort of convey to everyone, which is... Don't be the one right. that gets into the car in 2009 and drives drive to, to the, the mall, mall to try and find get right or get left your CD. <laughs> like you know, I should have been learning about it. I should have, 
you know, to talk to, you know, someone else that knew how to download music back then or figured it out, you know. Right. And and I would have been the beneficiary, right, because I wouldn't have wasted my time when I got to the mall. I wouldn't have had this rude awakening like Let I Let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Hassan Teta, because I know people right now are listening and they're going to be, uh, they're going to be inspired to be like, okay, well, let me go. Like, where do I start? You know, mm-hmm. how can this be beneficial for me in my everyday life? Mm-hmm. So what would you tell the, uh, a person who's listening right now that's like, okay, I don't know anything about artificial intelligence, but now I'm inspired. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I'm not driving to the mall looking for <laughs> a CD single. <laughs> right. so, so what would you say are some places that are good to get started? And what are some things in everyday life for the average yeah. person that this can uh, benefit them? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I, I would say, say selfish plug. I would say read my book, The uh-huh. Art of Human Care for with artificial intelligence um, is purposely written in a way that really simplifies uh, the science of artificial intelligence, the the sort of place that we're at right now, this mm-hmm. point in time. It is definitely uh, in the context of healthcare, but there has wide applicability to any field that right. you're in. Human partnerships determine AI success. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's a that's that's a that's a place where I think in a very brief yeah. and and very comprehensive way you can get a good glimpse of it particularly if you're interested in healthcare and how it may impact AI mm-hmm. beyond that the the resources are many right and i would just um say that when you do look for information anywhere just do your best to verify the veracity and the truth of what that is. Right. And so I, I and, and and for that, I would say for, for those that are sort of like, I want to get like a, a good AI 101, there are like courses online that you can go to. A test we went there from institutions like Coursera, if they were like, you know, platforms like that. A lot of the universities have free courses. Right. Go to one of those. And they have brilliant professors. I've been the beneficiary of those. I mean, before I got this opportunity to do this work, I had I took classes at Stanford. I took classes at MIT. I took all these different places. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned. I I learned from experts. But I also had an opportunity to get this information and to process it, internalize it for myself, and then Figure out, figure out a way of how I can apply it in my in my workplace. Right, and then that led to the opportunity to, to sort of lead this division in that in that um, in that organization. I even think about real estate because I'm in the process of getting my real estate license. Oh, congrats! But <laughs> thank you. But even just thinking about that, and you know, when you have to pull comps from an area, how AI can be helpful with that, and Absolutely. and also cut back on the uh, wor- amount of work that you have to do as far as administrative, so you can be out there doing. Uh, what it is that you need to do because sometimes things are just tedious work you know and I think AI can be really helpful and in healthcare too like you said with administrative things for our prevention that's something that comes up a lot as far as um, healthcare and AI because you know I'm glad it's weird in there because I'll get alerts did you try no I didn't and it turned (laughs) out this happened just a few weeks ago someone had stole my son's credit card Whoa! and I got an alert because of an algorithm that said this doesn't make sense. This is not a, you know, and they called me and I asked my son, where are you? He's like, um, I'm out doing whatever. Is your wallet with you? No. Okay. And, well. and so, yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a place where I'm sure people were like, oh, this is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because that actually helped prevent further loss and further damage. So it is interesting in healthcare, just because you brought up the banking thing, um, understandably in healthcare, some of our advances are a little bit behind where they are in other industries yeah. right <laughs> but that 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 uh, makes sense because you know the stakes are high in, in healthcare because right. if you you know you're not doing something right or 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 things are not quite what they should be people can get harmed and and, and worse so uh, that makes sense but clearly going back again to sort of the central premise ai is going to impact and will impact everything mm mm-hmm. Except the things that matter most. The rest is up to us. For your listeners, for anybody that's listening here, I would encourage them to really seek out sources and get educated and informed. And I would imagine anybody listening to this podcast right now is already making that step, right? Right. They're, They're people that are looking for information. There's a lot of people who don't look for information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
that's going to be a problem. That's, that's to your detriment if you're not looking for information. I think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. And as you look for that information, just try and, you know, check the veracity of the information because that is also something that is going to be a lot more common, you know, Scams. misinformation. <laughs> misinformation, yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, there's there's lots of ways to check the veracity and just go to the, the sources that you trust, you know, and I think a lot of people have a good concept of a trusted source. Well, I trust anybody whose last name rhymes with Meta. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, Dr. Hassan A. Teta, The Art of Human Care with AI, with Artificial Intelligence. So make sure you pick this up. And I do appreciate you so much for coming through because oh, there's so many questions that I have. So hopefully us being fellow Brooklynites. Yes, absolutely. You know, if we ever have anything that we need to uh, verify or we need an expert to at least give us a, drop us a word you know, I appreciate that because I never want to act like I know certain things that I am not well versed in. And clearly you are the source for this. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, Dr. Hassan Teta, and how can people also find you if they want to reach out or follow you? Yeah, the best place to see all the kind of activities I'm doing right now are teta.com. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the website and it has our various uh, projects and suite of businesses that we have. Uh, and then The Art of Human Care is where the books are available. Uh, this is one of a few of the ones that I have in the series. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm all about inspiring and uh, serving and healing and teaching and uh, creating the greatest good for humankind. And so, empathy. <laughs> and empathy. As so. we discussed. All right. And just so you guys know, he's the founder of Human Care Technologies, Inc., and also an official member of Forbes Technology Council. And we are blessed and honored to have you up here. Thank you so much. All right. It's Way Up with Angela Yee. Hey, it's Angela Yee from Way Up with Angela Yee. Imagine swapping your car keys for a chance to move your body, better mental health, connecting with your community, and creating memories without spending money. Join me and embrace nature's pace by taking a walk, hike, or a bike ride with Reels to Trails Conservancy because our time on the trail is so much more than a day outside. Get ideas for getting outside at reelstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Reels to Trails. Hey, ladies, it's Angela Yee. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for official rules and a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.